Our passage this morning is Exodus 20. We'll be looking at verse 12. As you know, we are going through the Ten Commandments on Sunday mornings. Um, we've been doing it this spring, and this is our fifth one to come to. And one thing we've not really discussed, and I won't spend very long on, is the idea of the two tablets. Uh, we're moving into the second set of commandments that deals with our relationship toward people. And so a lot of uh, commentators would say there are two tablets. One has the first four commandments. The second tablet has the, the final six commandments. Um, the truth is there's a debate that some, some scholars would say that the, both tablets had all ten. And borrowing from the Hittite and other cultures, that God would keep one of the tablets and the people would keep the other tablet to hold on to the covenant. But then the argument is kind of falls flat a little bit since both tablets were in the Ark of the Covenant. That being said, that's as technical as we're getting. What we do have is a bridge in the fifth commandment. The first four are clearly our dealing with Yahweh. The final five are our dealing with man. And this one really highlights a bridge between the two. And that is how we interact with our own parents, our father and mother, but also seeing in light of that our Heavenly Father. So, with that in mind. Verse 12 of Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to live in the land that you have given us. Ultimately, Lord, a renewed heavens and a renewed earth with you and with our fellow brothers and sisters. And Lord, as we traverse this a challenging time in between your coming the first time, Jesus, and your coming back. We know that we are riddled with sin and we struggle and we know this earth has fallen and yet we cling to you. And we pray that this morning your gospel would help us better understand how to walk with you, how to honor you and how to honor our parents, those that whom you've given us, Father. Would you open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see freshly your scripture this morning. In your name we pray, amen. I have started with this, um, I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. So those of you who've heard it, rest assured you know what I'm talking about. The movie Contact is a great movie, um, came out in the 90s with Jodie Foster. And the idea behind the movie is, what if aliens communicated to us about how to travel around the universe through wormholes? Something like that. Don't IMBD that, but... Something like that. And um, Jodie Foster is the one who not only first gets some of the signals and hears about this, but is chosen to go in this capsule to travel through all these wormholes and go across the universe. But from our perspective, that is mankind's on Earth perspective, there's this contraption where this ball is just going to simply drop through like two spinning DNA-looking things, right? And in that time, she's going to be taken across the universe and back, and we're going to hear her experience. But what makes it amazing is the instructions for this huge device came from aliens. This is the idea behind the movie. It's not a true story. So you have this, all these instructions are coming in. They're building it. The, the earth is like all the countries have come together to work together. It's bringing peace and harmony. They build this thing. But when it's time to build the, the little capsule where the pilot will go, Jodie Foster, the pilot or the astronaut or whatever we'd call her, they realize the instructions don't have a chair. So they think, well, the aliens don't know about chairs yet. So they put in a chair. 
and, and at the scene where that she's actually beginning to, to drop, and it's this climax, this moment of what's going to happen, the capsule from inside begins to shake violently. So violently that the chair, she thinks it's all going to be like go, go, go to pieces, breaks off. And then it just floats perfectly serenely. And, and what you're supposed to realize in that moment is, we messed that up, right? The, the chair was never supposed to be part of it. Well, we love to do that with our parents as well. This is the segue to the fifth commandment. Our parents give us the perfect set of instructions, right? At least that's the goal. But we like to sort of live life on our own terms and kind of think, well, that was pretty good information, but maybe you forgot this or this piece or that piece. And so what we do is we take God's, whether it's God's instructions from Him through Scripture or the instructions we get through our own parents or other sources, we muck them up. We mess them up with our own fallenness. And yet, the Scripture in this passage specifically is teaching that to follow the instructions of our Heavenly Father, which is the goal, we need to honor our earthly father and mother. That's a big task right now to teach you that. that that's the goal this morning. But that's a heavy task. Why? Because everybody in this room, I mean, maybe there's one person in this room who thinks, my mother and father are amazing. But most of us kind of know that there's some problems with our parents, right? Or as parents, we have problems. I know my kids will probably have to go to counseling, and, and hopefully we can help you pay for that. Um, but that's a little humor. Um, but the reality is, this is, we need to tease out the truths from this passage and see how they apply to us now. I just want to mention, you know, in Ephesians 5, G, Paul says, you know, it's a famous marriage passage, right? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And just when the, the husband's like, aha, the wife comes back and says, but wait, husbands, serve your wife like Christ serves the church, and it's the most perfect, like, marriage verse ever. But at the very end, what does Paul say? I'm talking about your relationship to the Lord. In other words, marriage, as much as that applies to it, it's still pointing to the ultimate picture of you and Jesus. And in the same way, I really hope we'll, we'll connect our own needing to honor our mother and father with the fact that we are to honor our Heavenly Father. And not just see it as a metaphor, but see them as connected. That's the goal. So, let's dive in difficult with difficulty. And it is challenging. And as I'm studying these commandments, I'm getting this information, I realize you could spend a lot more time on, on each of these. And also, each of your own circumstances create different ways of discussing it. So, hopefully this will all make some sense. So the first thing we're going to look at is the value of parents. The value of parents. In the Bible, parents are the source of instruction. We're going to talk about the promise uh, that comes with this commandment a little bit later, but there's a clear sense in which the parents are the ones passing on the inf information about Yahweh to the children. And all through Scripture, the role of, of parents is instructing. Now, I'm, I'm not going to give you a large sociological... Um, it, this is hard, but, but the family has changed quite a bit in like the last hundred years. Right? It's changed radically. And so, you know, and before the uh, Industrial Revolution, families, I'm told, were much more together. The jobs the jobs were more together, the, the work they did, the children were much more involved. But specifically, the mother and the father really shared more the role of the rearing of the children than we do in today's time. That 
Before the Industrial Revolution, it was a, it was a combined effort of instruction. Then, with, the, with industry and cities, the husband goes off to work, and now the wife is left to raise the children. Fast forward, this is very, very simplistic. Fast forward to the World War II and beyond, and the, and the women begin to enter the workforce. And now, as a society, maybe not in this room, and I'm not even saying this is all wrong, but we begin to sort of let a third party do a lot of the instructing of children to the point where even today I think it's very common for us to think of rearing children as they have clothing, they have some education, you know, they have their sports and their activities, but we sort of back off on the religious aspect of that pretty heavily. It's not, it's not uncommon to hear a, someone say something along the lines of, uh, I'm going to let them make up their own decision spiritually. Have you ever heard that? Whereas in the Bible, and even in ancient times in the past, that would never be the case. It would be we are instructing you, not in just your education and your values, but your very belief system. We're going we're to teach you. Um, and so there's become this sort of interesting new development in the last hundred years or so called adolescence. That didn't exist. If you go back to the 1800s, 1700s, there wasn't adolescence. You went from being a child to being an adult, right? Now you have this period of time where we're sort of like, you look like an adult, but we're going to treat you like a child and give you a car. Enjoy. Um, but this idea, I was listening to NPR a few years ago, and there was an entire story on uh, refugees in Omaha. And I didn't know Omaha had a lot of refugees, but they were, this lady was describing the refugee families and, and the way they carried their values forward compared to many of the people who were from Omaha. It was interesting because the children maybe looked like everybody else, but they were more respective of their parents. They were harder workers. And they realized that it was because they saw their parents making sacrifice. If you think about what a refugee has gone through, oftentimes the mother, the father, or both have been stripped from occupations, maybe being a physician or something they really labored for for years, to, like being a, to doing custodial work or something that they would say would be beneath their training. And the, and the, and the children have seen this, and they've observed this, and they, and they have a collective goal, and they want to help their, their family get out of that situation, and so there's this combined effort. This expert went on to say, however, for the middle-class average person in Omaha, and probably in this room, she used a Yogi Berra quote. She said, we're all born on third base thinking we hit triple. Think about that for a minute. We all were born on third base we look around and go, I hit a triple. I'm awesome. Look at what I've done. And that's sort of the undergirding idea behind probably a lot of our own mindsets. And it's created a separation of honor and value of our parents and of our own families of origin. So the question then, scripturally speaking, is who are our parents? And how do we honor them? Uh, in this scripture, uh, the parent's role is instruction. right? So listen to some Proverbs here. Proverbs 1.8. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 6.20 My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 23.22 Listen to your father who gave you life. That works, by the way, in a good little, when you're getting under the children. I gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Um, these, are, these are just... Uh, scripture showing the fact that a parent's role is instruction. And a child's role in that relationship is to receive instruction. 
right? Well, what about spiritually speaking? Jesus, at the age of 12, we all know the story found in Luke 2, uh, didn't do what he was told. He didn't get in the caravan heading back to Nazareth, right? They had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. There's two groups like a carpool going back. And when they arrived somewhere that night, they realized they don't have the little boy, 12-year-old Jesus, and they go back to find him, and he's in the temple. And his exact quote was, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And what you have there, here's my fleshly thought. I'm your dad. Like, what are you thinking? I mean, I know you love God and all, but I'm your dad. Why would you? But yet, what, would you, what should you be thinking? What should you be thinking if you're Joseph and you go back and your 12-year-old says that to you? Hallelujah. That my 12-year-old loves his father so much, his heavenly father, that he wants to worship in this temple and be with him. Now, it's hard to know at the point, is that Jesus because he's the second person of the Trinity? Or is that Jesus showing us a picture of what a 12-year-old should look like? But the point is, spiritually speaking, in the Scriptures, your parents are not just the flesh and blood who birthed you, but anyone who instructs you. Right? Anyone who gives you instruction. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, um, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 1 Corinthians 4. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. And so there's this sense in which we have a relationship with our earthly parents. Ultimately, we have our relationship with our heavenly father. We also have a relationship to spiritual parents and spiritual fathers in the scripture as well. There's another place in Matthew 12 where Jesus is teaching and he's speaking, and this is the most awkward place in the Gospels where the family, his mother and brothers, come to rescue him from this embarrassment. You know the story. He's in there teaching. It's crowded. And they're thinking, Jesus is doing it again. Let's go get him out of there. And so the man who went in to explain to Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers kind of want you to come on out. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretches out his hand toward the disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, it's confusing, isn't it? How do we honor our earthly heavenly Father if Jesus seems to be saying, these are my, these are my mother and father and brothers right before me. Now, we all know that in the end of his life, in, in the... Um, We've seen this if you've seen the Passion, and it's obviously in the Gospels, where Jesus tells the disciple John to take care of his mother. Here he is bleeding and dying, and he leaves the care of his earthly mother to his most beloved disciple, John. And so, never is he contradicting himself, but here's the point. The first focus of honor is our Heavenly Father. And the goal of the fifth commandment would be in a, in a redeemed situation would be that your mother and father are the ones who gave you the instruction you need, needed and still need, to have that relationship with your heavenly father. right? But the problem is, the question that's being raised for all of us in our minds are what if our parents don't care a lick that I walk with Jesus? What if they're not even Christians? Or what if they're Christians but they don't, they don't really care about my growth in Christ? Or what if they were abusive? Or what if they're no longer living? Or anything on that spectrum, right? How do we honor them? And so we want to look at sort of this final question, how do we honor our parents? 
in light of what we've just discussed. The word for honor in the Hebrew means to, to make honorable, obviously to glorify. Uh, in the Greek, this actual passage is quoted by Paul in Ephesians 6. He, he restates the, the exact uh, scripture. And the Greek word there means to regard, to, to revere. So it's interesting when it says honor your father and mother, it doesn't mean for the rest of your life on planet Earth you obey them, everything they want you to do. However, children who live with your fathers and mothers, it does mean that. So in, in, in Ephesians 6, Paul says, children, obey your parents. He's talking to the young children that would be receiving the letter. And what does that obedience look like, children? It means actually doing the things they say, right? Um, there's a Far Side cartoon where uh, there's a praying man. You remember the Far Side? Everyone knows what the Far Side is. There's a praying mantis on a leaf, an adult, with all these like 50 little praying mantises. With, their eyes are just bulging at what they just heard. And here's the caption. Of course, long before you mature, most of you will be eaten. Okay, no one, no one, everyone already tuned out before I even told the joke, so. Far side cartoon, let's try this again, praying mantis. I like that, that cartoon because it's realistic. But what would you do if you're the little praying mantis? You'd be thinking, I've got to live, give me instruction. And you would kind of cling to that parent figure, the parent praying mantis, right? Um, when I was sitting in the office this week, I, we have a, the office is at 7th Street in Maine. Right behind me is an alleyway with like probably 85 trucks a day that go down it and they honk before they pull out. It's kind of dangerous. And there's a parking garage beyond it. And this father and child were walking and the child just ran right into the alleyway. And there was no danger at this point. But the dad, I heard the dad still say, hey, and he called the child back and said, you know, this is dangerous. Right? Instruction. And even though in that moment there was no danger, that child's life depended on the father giving them a view of what's coming, what could happen. And so in our own fifth commandment, we have something that we don't have in almost any other commandment, and that is a promise. I say almost because the second commandment sort of has a curse and a promise. But in the fifth commandment, the one we're looking at this morning, notice what God says, for the, in, um, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. You hear that promise? It's connected to this idea of length of life. Every commentator would agree that is not suggesting if you follow your parents, you're guaranteed 80 or 90 years. That's not the point. More likely, it means a couple of things. One, it means flourishing comes when we follow the law, right? Flourishing. So even if there's going to be an accident at some point that we can't control, our life up until that point will be flourishing. Another way to look at it would be Israel as a nation. Israel's looking to enter the promised land. They're going to leave Sinai and enter this land where they want to have long life and long days as a nation, right? Leading up to Christ. That's the goal. And it will only happen, according to the fifth commandment, if, if the parents are being honored and passing on redemptive instruction to their children and it's being followed. Okay. So, but the question is for us, what does that promise look like? What is it you're longing for? See, I would argue that you will honor your parents when you want what they want. Tiger Woods, golfer, I'm looking down, liked his dad a whole lot because his dad taught him golf. Daniel liked, the, liked Mr. Miyagi. Remember Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid? 
He's a custodian. But Daniel loved him and honored him. Why? Because he taught him karate. That's what Daniel wanted more than anything. And so here comes a sensei that can teach him. And next thing you know, Daniel's waxing cars and doing bonsai trees and catching flies with chopsticks. Because he's honoring him because he wanted the same thing. And so here's where this passage is really driving you. Before you ask, how do I treat my earthly parents? Here's the question. What do you long for? The biggest mistake we make in this room in an American Christianity is we want a Christianity that's very sterile and very boring and very plain. And then we hope that at the end of our life, there's a little bit of our 401k left over for our kids. We die at a good old age. We have a nice funeral. and We go to heaven. And there, we don't really know what's going to happen, but that would be pretty cool. In the Scriptures, all the people of God are longing for life to come. They're longing for life with Christ in heaven. They're longing for the, the eschaton, the, the end times, right? The final times. We see this with Jesus. And what's amazing is it's not only that they long for it, but it actually feeds back into how they live their daily life. And that's the key. So for Jesus, in John 13, when he begins to wash the disciples' feet, John tells us over and over, Jesus, knowing he came from the Father, you know, knowing that he was with the Father, knowing he was returning to the Father, that was what made him available to or passionate to love the, the disciples. Right? All through the book of John, he's doing the same thing. My Father and I are one. He's talking about his longing to be with the Father and how that's informing everything he's doing. And then there's a place in 2 Peter, we looked at this week, um, if you're in, in the small group, that just really captured my attention where Peter says, therefore, in first, 2 Peter 1, verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities he just mentioned, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. In other words, here's what I want to do. I want to remind you of the gospel. Here's what Peter's saying. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, this tent, this dwelling, to stir you up in the reminder of the gospel. And he says it over and over. And what he basically says is, Jesus told me when I was going to die. At the end of John, Jesus let Peter know how he would die. And for Peter, that moved him to want to serve the people around him, to want to love the disciples. And so the question I would have for you in this room is, what is what is it you long for? Because if you long for the same thing your heavenly Father longs for, you will honor Him. Right? And you will want to bring in spiritual siblings into the community. Is that your longing? Is that the goal of your life? To enter into heaven? To walk with God? And to see heaven breaking in now? In your marriage? In your parenting? In your job? Is, is grace breaking in? Or is it just something you do? a little bit at a time. If it's the latter of those two, which for many of us it probably is, we get stuck, we get a little bit bored, Christianity becomes sort of, oh yeah, I'm also a Christian. Is it not because we have forgotten the fact that we are loved by the Father? Like, Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the God who created everything actually loves you? And if it's true, why does that not move you more? Why does that not make you want to walk with Him more? What is it you're clinging to other than 
God's redemption and love for you. It's making you lose sight of the fact that He is the one who is, who is shaping your very goals in life. What is it you're clinging to? What laws have you set for yourself? What goals, what steps, what programs are you sort of measuring yourself by? I've always been amazed and even somewhat haunted by the Pharisees because the Pharisees seemed to be the most religious people on the planet. I mean, if you knew a Pharisee back in the day, you would have thought, that person has it going on. They are going straight to heaven. Even before anything happens, they're going to go to heaven. That's what you would have thought. They're just amazing. And then along comes Jesus. And he looks at the Pharisees and says, you brood of vipers. And it's a very shocking thing. Because we tend to think in terms of like atheist, agnostic, nominal Christian, regular attender. You know, we have this kind of scale that we try to evaluate ourselves on, right? Oh, I'm over here somewhere. And the Pharisee's the one who has it all together, right? They're, they're the one you try to emulate. And, and Jesus says, you brood of vipers, you have, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. And listen to what he challenges them on. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, and he goes on to explain their tradition that they've held on to. And here's what the Pharisees began to do. They began to say, okay, yes, the average person should honor their father and mother. I'm going to take my money and enjoy it and then give what's left over to the church. And Jesus says, you are throwing away the weightier matters of the law, right, for this, for this fake tradition. But for them, doing what they were doing felt right, and it felt good, and it felt holy. And so the question then is this, why do we do that? Why are you, why am I neglecting honor of my own mother and my own father? And why can I not connect my own mother and my own father to my heavenly father? Personally speaking, and my mother may listen to this, but my parents were divorced when I was one year old. My mother is a Christian. My father would actively tell you he's not a Christian. He, he wouldn't be embarrassed by that in any way, shape, or form. It is a very difficult commandment to preach. I really do. I wish I was raised in Tom and Marsha's home. Or, you know, behind some family that godly husband and wife raising me up this would be a much easy i'm sure both of them were thinking that it's not as good as you think but but you know it's a lot easier to preach it in that context but here i am trying to tell you to honor your father and mother in the context you came from and i'm sure there are stories in this room that would make us all weep and there are stories in this room that would make us all rejoice but here's the good news, and here's the hope. We honor our parents in the Gospel based on who they should have been in Christ. When we honor our Father, Heavenly Father, first because of our cleansing by the blood of Christ, we no longer need our parents. I'm talking to adults. We no longer need them to complete us. Though we would love their nurturing, though we would love their shepherding still, though we would love great insight, we don't need it. We are now free to love them. We're now free to care for them where they are. We are now free to long. Maybe it's for their health 
to be, to be restored. Maybe it's for them to know Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's for them to grow in their walk. They've gotten stagnant. But we can begin to love and shepherd them, and that's a way to honor them. Because honor does not mean you do everything they say, and your identity is based on what they think of you. Your identity is completely based on one thing now, what your Heavenly Father thinks of you. And if you are in Christ, it is perfect. It is perfect. Is that your view? So how are you treating your earthly mother and father in light of this? I'm going to end with a silly story uh, from, the, from the grim fairy tales. I heard this from Keller. That's the only thing I heard from Keller in this whole sermon, I promise you. You're like, really? I, I believe it. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, there's a story of um, a, a husband and wife and a son. They have a little boy, and they bring in the husband's father to live in their home who's old, and he's begun to have dementia, and he's a little bit messy. And the wife doesn't like serving him. He sits at the table, and he makes a mess, and it makes her angry, and he's unappreciative. He mumbles. He can't really share any information. And at one point, he gets so sloppy, she said, I've had enough. And she takes him and puts him in the, ne- in the corner of the next room and has him eat his meals by himself in a chair in the corner. And there he has his bowl and his spoon and his little tray, and he eats. And one day they hear a noise, and he spilled everything. And she's had it. That's enough. And she goes out to the pigsty, takes a trough, and brings it in and sets it before him. And from that point forward, she pours his porridge into that trough for him to eat out of. That's where it's going to go from here. And one day, a few months later, they're noticing their little boy doing some sculpting and some woodwork and in a wooden thing and building this thing. And they're, what are, you, what are you making? This is really cool. Well, I'm making the trough I'm going to feed you guys out of when you get Pappy's age. And the mom and the dad began to weep in horror. Because what they realized was they taught their son that this was the normal way to care for the aged person in their life, the, his father. Now, An interesting way to close, but here's some application. Number one, do you love the elderly in your life? If you love your heavenly Father, I think an acid test to, to whether or not you love your heavenly Father is do you love those that have come before you? Do you see yourself as standing on their shoulders? Do you care for them? Do you want to take care of them? Children, do you want to honor your parents? Is that even a desire? As I was actually driving on the way over here, I thought about this as well. Siblings, adult siblings, young siblings, everybody in between, do you honor your parents by loving each other? I hear some giggles. Why, why, why are we all giggling? That's honestly like the hardest thing. I can be nice to dad, but I cannot be nice to my sibling. There's nothing that brings a parent more joy than when our siblings love each other. Are you loving your sibling? Are you loving your parents? Are you honoring them? But more importantly than any of these questions, are you seeing yourself as being the adopted child of the God of the universe who loves you completely? Because that's the only way these other relationships can change. That's it. You can't do it any other way. So, what do we do with that? We 
rejoice with Graham Winslow that he's honoring his father. We rejoice with our children in our midst. We rejoice with each other as our spiritual siblings, honoring our Heavenly Father, loving one another, but we desperately need to love and cherish our actual living parents. And if yours are gone, grieve with hope. Even if you don't know where they went or you even know they weren't Christians, grieve as one who is loved by a Heavenly Father who knows perfectly what He's doing and trust in Him alone. Let's pray. Father, this is such a hard topic because we are so broken. And none of us as parents and none of us as children ever do it right. Thank you, Jesus, for your gospel. Thank you that we are covered by your blood. That we can stand, even as sinners, as we sang earlier, and come to your throne full of assurance. Lord, we have hope for redemption. Even now in the way we love our adult parents, or if we're young people loving our current, our parents that we are being raised by currently, Father, if we are adopted, we could love our adopted parents and know that you've, you've brought us into this world um, beautifully and we've been adopted, and that's a picture we see of our own adoption spiritually. Lord, if our parents were abusive, we can grieve knowing that we have now been adopted by you as a heavenly father. Lord, in whatever station we are in, your gospel bids us to come, to eat, to be in union with you, Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd renew us in that way this morning, that we may love our earthly parents, our spiritual parents, and the siblings all around us. In your name we pray. Amen.